0: The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Good morning, Harvest. Good, morning. Good, morning. Good to see you. And um, let's start. Uh, let's start here with this. Some words: um, war, turmoil, discord, anxiety, worry, stress, tension, fear, uh, confusion, dissonance. Conflict, strain, distress. Now, more than a few of you in this room are currently experiencing in your life more than a few of these uh, words. Uh, They're gripping you, gripping your life, and one thing, If we could pick an opposite for all of these words, one thing chases all of that away. God-given peace. That's what pushes it out. And I'm sure, if you're experiencing any of those things, I am sure that you would want the peace that God provides you. Amen? I would want that. And I hope you want it. And uh, we've talked in this series, by the way, we're coming back to this series, took about seven, eight weeks off from it, and we're coming back to this series called uh, Make Ready. And uh, previously, in the first four messages, we talked about having the need for an unwavering faith. We talked about that. uh, Clear identity, uh, the highest integrity, and radical devotion, all of these are necessary If God is to make us ready for the big thing that he wants to do in our lives, the big thing that he wants to do through our lives, we've talked about that having very personal applications to our life, and we've talked about it in terms of us as a church family, corporately, what does this mean uh, for us? God wants to make us ready for the things that he wants to do in and through us. And so today we're going to turn our attention to John's Gospel, chapter uh, 21. And uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, and Jesus are having a conversation. And this happens after the resurrection, before the ascension of Jesus Christ. And Peter's going to find out exactly how he can have, how he's going to get God-given peace. Because at this point, before the conversation happens, Peter doesn't have it. But Jesus wants him to have it. And what needs to happen for him to actually get it, to get to the place in his life, listen, where the external circumstances of his life are as nothing, are as nothing, and that allowed him to be used by God, in his case, to be the leader of the infant church that would impact this world so profoundly. And so there are some things that you and I need to understand And we're going to see these in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, some things that we need to understand if we're to have this God-given peace too. Does that sound like something worth going after this morning? All right, so let's do that. Uh, Let's read the text together, John 21, 15 to 23. I'll pray and we'll start unpacking this. John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at the table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Let's pray together. Uh, God, in uh, this uh, moment uh, now, uh, prepare our hearts uh, for our response to this message from your word. We don't want to waste this time, uh, Father, uh, carrying uh, out what we carried in. And so, God, show us what needs to be left here. After hearing your word, give us peace with you, peace with others, peace within ourselves. God, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you'll have God-given peace when you understand... um, these things, we'll start with this, when you, when you understand you can't, this is kind of a duh, okay, moment, when you, when you understand that you can't be in conflict with God and be at peace, does, does that make sense? Duh, go ahead, go ahead, say it. Duh. Of course, totally makes sense. Uh, John 21, uh, this is the third post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, and this time he shows up. Uh, just to seven of the disciples there's a peter there a john is there we know uh, from the passage we just read and, and five others and uh, they've been out fishing and now they've come back to the shore and they're going to have a breakfast together they have breakfast and then this conversation happens and i need you to understand that this listen this conversation between peter and jesus it's it's a personal conversation but not a private conversation you know the difference It's a one-on-one Jesus and Peter, it's just between the two of them, but the other disciples that are there, the six of them, are there listening in on the conversation. It's a personal conversation, but not a private one, and that's super important for us to remember. Uh, Maybe you'll recall what happened to Peter and why this conversation was even necessary is Peter back in, in John 13 on the night in which Jesus was betrayed just prior to the crucifixion. He had met with his closest followers and, and in that meeting he said to Peter in particular, Peter who was the leader, Peter was not just part of the twelve, he was part of the three and it's pretty obvious that he was the one key leader among the twelve. And Jesus went to him and he said to him in the course of what would become the Lord's Supper, he says to him, um, Peter, uh, before the night is through, you're going to deny me three times. Now, now what happened? Jesus makes this prediction, but 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 just before Peter had said, "You know what? I'm, I'm good, Jesus. I'm with you all the way to the end. In fact, in fact, I, I'd be willing to die for you. I'd be willing to die with you." I'm so committed, I'm so in. And I love that about Peter. He's so, he's so early adopter to everything, right? He's so impetuous, he's so bold, he's so out there. While others are kind of kicking sand with their feet, Peter's up front declaring, I'm in. And so he makes this rather bold, some might even say, arrogant statement, not based on anything. He's filled with pride. I'm going to be there. I'm going to die with you. And Jesus is saying, well, in fact, in fact, not only are you not going to die with me, you're actually going to go further than the other disciples who are simply going to abandon me. You're going to hang around. You're going to watch the whole thing go down, but from a distance and when someone questions you about it and someone else and a third person, you're actually going to deny me. Now that's that's pretty devastating and we know that story from the Gospels that when their eyes met after the third and the cock crowed, uh, we know that their eyes met and in that moment Peter was crushed, devastated in a way that you and I maybe can't even understand. And so if Jesus rises from the dead and there's some encounters and some back and forth and You just get a sense that right up until this moment right here, the third post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, and he's now meeting with Peter, you get a sense that the tension over that night and what happened is still there. And for Peter's part, maybe he's trying to bury it and repress it, and I'm going to pretend like it didn't happen. How often do we do that? Maybe If I just ignore it, it'll go away. Okay, ignoring almost nothing ever goes away. And, and But he's trying that, but Jesus knows, and don't you, don't you just appreciate that we have a God who isn't gonna let that kind of thing sit? And here's Jesus comes up. He knows this thing needs to be resolved, and so he says to him, uh, how many denials were there again? How many times did he deny him? And then how many times did he ask him if he loved him? And do you think that's a coincidence? You know, see, he's working him through the process, and three times he asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times Peter affirms, I love you, I love you, I love you. The third time, a little exasperated that he even asks. And Peter appeals. See, he knows that Jesus is the son of God. He knows that he's God himself. And he knows that the things that he knows about God apply to Jesus. And so he applies to his omniscience that he knows everything. Jesus, you know everything. You can look into my heart right now and know. That's a confident prayer. You ever prayed that kind of prayer before the Lord? Just go before him and say, God, you know, I know I'm messing up. I know this is a disaster. I know I'm really struggling with this. But God, you know my heart. You know how much I love you. And you see, that just the sincerity that Peter has, you can't doubt it when you appeal to God's knowledge of what's really going on. You know you have a person who's beginning to figure it out, and Peter's beginning to Figure it out. Even though his love for Jesus was being questioned, Peter was seeing that God deeply, deeply, Jesus deeply, deeply loved him. And having the peace of God in our lives, which is what we're going for, having the peace of God in our lives is a byproduct of understanding God's love for us. And you won't have peace in your life if you don't get that god loves you and if you don't get that god knows that you love him despite all your failures that that's the love of god inside every one of us he puts it there having the peace of god in our lives is a byproduct of experiencing god's love pledging your love to him knowing that he loves you lock that down You see it here, Jesus lovingly, gently, graciously restoring a broken man. And I can't even count how many times he's done that for me. How many times I've been reminded in the midst of my own failures and my own brokenness, When temptation has come and I gave into it again and I went back to him and he lovingly and graciously and gently reminded me that he loves me. It's awesome. Jesus' main concern here is getting Peter to a good place with God because he knows if you get to a good place with God, then everything else falls into place in my life. And this was essential because Peter was going to be asked to bear great responsibility as the leader of this church, as an apostle. Peter's restoration is really a model for our own restoration. And that's the thing that we're going after here today, that if any of us are unreconciled to God, if there's any contention between us and God, if there's any lack of peace, that we would go after that right now, That applies to those who are yet to be believers and those who are already believers. We're dealing with Peter here. He already loves Jesus. He's already following him. He's a believer. But Jesus is gently bringing him to a place of restoration. But there might be some here this morning that you're not at that place where you actually have a relationship with God at all. You haven't taken the first step of reconciliation and that initial reconciliation with God may be needed for some in this room. I can't think of a verse that's better to kind of help us understand this than Ephesians two fourteen. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Our sin... Is that dividing wall of hostility? What we did was sever the relationship with God. That's our doing. We can't do anything to get that wall torn down. Only Jesus Christ could do that. And He did. He's our peace. He tore down the wall. He made possible the relationship with our God. That passage Ephesians 2 goes on to talk about Jesus making peace that we could be reconciled to him, that it comes through the cross that therefore we have access to the Father. And some of you that's that's the decision some need to make to accept what Jesus Christ has done for you to give you that peace, confess your sin. Let Jesus tear down the wall between you and God and enter into that relationship with him. And for those who are believers, maybe a confession needs to be made. Maybe an understanding needs to come about in your life that Jesus, okay, when it comes to your sin and whatever thing you're still dealing with, that Jesus has put it behind him. And maybe some of you, it's as simple as this. You need to take it and put it behind you too. That you need to recognize that Jesus is your peace. Because there will be no feeding of their sheep. There will be no tending of their sheep. That, that was the mission that was given to Peter, but it's not unlike the mission that's given to every one of us. Whatever it is that God has given you to do, whatever gifts he's put in you, whatever passions you have for ministry and for fulfilling the, ministry, the mission that Christ has given to us, you've got to understand there's going to be no feeding of the sheep without the restoring of the soul, without the peace. No leadership. No mission. No ministry. No effectively serving others without this peace. Peace. Parents who shepherd children, get grandparents who want to have an impact on the next generation. Awana leaders, harvest kids, teachers, harvest youth leaders, small group leaders, coaches, elders. We have to start with the peace that comes from a restored relationship with our God. And then... Feed his sheep. You can't, you can't be in conflict with God and be at peace. Make sense? And then this. You can't choose your own way and be at peace. So with Peter and Jesus reconciled and having peace in this you know, super important vertical relationship between the two of them, Jesus then turns his attention to Peter's mission specifically. And he says this to him in verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Pause. When you were young, you got to choose your own way. Before you found Jesus, you got to pick your own path. You got to decide what your life was going to be like. You were autonomous. You were independent. You chose your path. And for most of us, okay, for all of us who actually know Jesus, we know that we were making a mess of it. But we got to choose. Then Jesus goes on to say to Peter, Hey, but listen, but when you're old, you're gonna stretch out your hands and another will dress you. And notice this, and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, adds this little commentary on that in in the parentheses where he says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And in fact, what we know from history, not the New Testament, but from history, Eusebius, uh, one historian, and recorded also for us in Fox's Book of Martyrs, is that Peter was actually crucified in a similar manner to Jesus. A legend tells us, or tradition tells us, though that he did not want to dignify the act of being crucified, or, or he didn't want to be so closely identified with Jesus and therefore minimize what he did, so he requested... I can't even imagine this because crucifixion seems horrible, but he requested that he be crucified upside down. That's that's what tradition tells us about this and that was really the path. We know for sure that Peter was martyred. They will carry you where you do not want to go. That was the kind of death he was going to suffer to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said to him, two words, follow me. Now, he's just told him the hardest thing he could tell him. And he says to him, follow me. That's tough to read. And I think it's super difficult for us to even grasp what's going on here. But Peter, we're reconciled. There's peace between us. And I'm asking you to do something awesome for me. But at the end of it, you're not going to be able to control where you go or what you do. Other people are going to decide that for you, and you're going to end up dead. Sign me up. Sign me up. This sounds awesome. See, apart from the Spirit of God, it doesn't sound that awesome. Apart from knowing what you've been reconciled from, why would anybody ever do this? I can't even really think of anything that is more at odds with our prevailing culture than this sense that I'm surrendering who I am to someone else. Because we have so elevated the concept of personal liberty in our democratic societies that I am a free man free to decide my own path. We've so elevated that value that then to say that I'm now going to turn myself over to God, that I'm going to be a servant of Jesus Christ, that I'm going to follow him to whatever path he lays out for me, and I'm not going to decide for myself. I mean, that's totally at odds with our culture, isn't it? It's completely at odds with it. And I tried to think of anybody that could really understand this. And I appreciate so much uh, the members of um, our military who are part of our church family and there are several that are in the room right now. And uh, we have the privilege of having, um, being so close to uh, CFB Borden and then we have these soldiers and these airmen, these sailors that come through on a regular basis and they spend sometimes just short periods of time with us but they try to integrate as best they can and we love the fact that they're here. Uh, But these... uh, Military personnel know that their lives are different than the civilians around them and the civilians don't always understand that. They don't understand how it's different. But there are those here who serve our country and fall under a chain of command and surrender to a large extent their autonomy, allowing others to decide where they live and where they go and what kind of danger they get put in and really every single one of them saying, I'm willing to go all the way to the extent that for the sake of our constitution and our flag and our freedoms and the preservation of our borders, I'm willing to go so far as to lay down my life for that. If there's anybody in the room that can understand that, the soldiers and airmen and sailors that are in this room can get that. But I think the rest of us struggle with it. But this is necessary. If we don't understand, if we don't get as close as we can to understanding that the surrendering of our personal autonomy, that we can't choose our own way, Less the sacrifice that is at the end of that is, I give up peace. I'm not going to be at peace with God. The peace that comes because you're doing, listen, not what you want to do, but what God has told you to do, to live your life in His way. This is a good moment just to throw in a definition of peace for us just to understand exactly what we're talking about because when we have this, it is a, this is, uh, James McDonald says this, a peace, a peace is the calm assurance that what God is doing is best. The calm assurance that what God is doing is best. And when I get that, then I'm willing to say, okay, God, you dictate the terms. You tell me the path. I'll follow that because it's best. It's best for me, it's best for the mission, it's best for your kingdom. Now you see, your peace, your peace needs to be based on not your ability to control your circumstances. This is often what we think it is. Okay, your peace is not based on your ability to control your circumstances or choose your way, but on God's ability to make sense of it all in his time. And I'd say we're way more excited about following Jesus until we find this out. That it involves a path of suffering. And yet what God picks for us is best, even if it means hardship. And and Tim Keller adds this little warning at the end of it, because this, to some extent, becomes a litmus test of whether or not we truly understand the cross and understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. And Keller just simply says this, any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her own way is a stranger to the cross. You'll have God-given peace when you understand that you can't be in conflict with God and be at peace. You can't choose your own way and be at peace. And then finally this. You can't compare yourself to others and be at peace. I feel like the rest of the message was so necessary. But I feel like this is the point for so many of us. And, and I want to say that this passage is intensely personal for me because at a time in my own life when I was wrestling so much with where I was at in ministry and what God had in front of me and I didn't particularly like the path that he had me on and, and, and having it out with him on, on an ongoing basis about that God, why did you pick me for this path, and why is this not happening? And for pastors, the uh, uh, the uh, the the really the the curse, the curse of comparing ourselves to each other, that is super real. And I was trapped in a place where that was happening for me, and so I get to this point. I just go, okay, I, this is this reads like a like a personal journal article to me, like something I wrote down for myself. You can't compare yourself to others and be at peace. And I feel for Peter. He was being given the leadership of the apostles. In the entire history of humanity, there's only been 12. He was one of them, and he was asked to lead the 12. There's only ever been one Peter who's occupied this particular office, and that's it. Fairly unique. Fairly special. But he was also being told, I'm giving you this position and role, but <laughs> it's not going to be quite what you think. It's not going to be the prestigious leadership role that you imagine. And it's not going to last long. And, and the way it ends is in your death Jesus had chosen a very difficult path for Peter and Peter did what we do often when we're asked to bear a a heavy burden or to go down a path we don't especially like. We start looking around at people around us and um, why is my life so hard and they're so easy? Why do I have to go through this and they don't? Why am I struggling and everything seems to go their way? Okay, I don't hear, I don't see anybody nodding right now, so is this just for me or is anybody else afflicted with this comparison thing? Yes? Yes? Yes. Because I put a lot of work into this. (laughs) So Peter's wondering why someone else is getting a seemingly free ride here and and he might have been thinking, you know, here's what I know about big time, big time pastor guys. They get a, they get a book deal and, and they, they publish and people ask them to sign the book and they get invited to all the conferences and they're on the website in the big pictures, not the workshop guys, the, but the big keynote speaker guys. They have thousands of Twitter followers. I mean, Peter's thinking through all this. Their podcasts grow higher and higher on the iTunes list. Everybody wants to know what they're saying. They're sought after. And Peter, he's sitting there going, That's what's in front of me. I'm the head of the apostles. We're planting a church. It's a church planting movement. We're going to be at the top of the heap. And I'm leading it all. And yet his prominence would wane so quickly. According to Jesus. So Peter turned, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John doesn't like to refer to himself in the text, so he just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He goes on to describe himself even more here, but it's John. Peter and John have known each other a long time, they were in business together, all fishermen. So when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And what what Peter's really saying about his friend John is I hope it's just his heart on him. (laughs) I hope he suffers too. If I've got to suffer, it isn't so much he's saying, I want an easy life like John's. He's really saying, I hope he gets dragged through the slop like I do. Because this isn't in the Bible, but misery loves company. Correct? Yeah, if I'm going to be sad... Everyone around me is gonna be sad, correct? That's kind of the way Peter's going after it here. He's, he wants to know if he's gonna to suffer too. He's saying, and I love this, um, it isn't fair, Lord, it's not fair, uh, footstomp. It's not fair if he's not gonna to suffer too. Here's the answer from Jesus, verse 22. If it's my will uh, that I leave him until I come. These are the words that are underlined in my Bible, but I don't especially like. What is that to you? You follow me. Loud and clear. Loud and clear? You don't need a preacher to explain that to you. Don't ever compare yourself to anyone else. Just do, you do, what Jesus told you to do. That's that's the message. Your main concern is not what you do or don't have in comparison to someone else, but what Jesus has given to you to do with the time that he's given uh, to you. That's it. Get your eyes off of everyone else. Get your eyes on to Jesus. You're following him. You're not comparing your path to anyone else's path. You're not comparing your spouse to someone else's spouse. You're not comparing your family or lack of a family to anyone else's family. You're not comparing your jobs You're not comparing your house. You're not comparing the car or the vacation that you go on or don't go on. You're not comparing your health to anyone else's. Not comparing anything. It's not what Jesus has for you. He's marked out a path for you. And it's different than every other path of every other person. And Jesus said, That's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. And you got to walk that path and be faithful to Him along the way. Jesus said, You follow me. You follow me. Get your eyes off of everyone else and on to Jesus. And every time you're tempted to compare yourself to someone else, let Jesus' words ring through our ears. What is that to you? What is that to you? I hear those words all the time. Whenever I'm tempted, to compare myself, my ministry, my preaching, my family, where I'm at financially, whatever it is, whenever I'm tempted to compare, I hear the Holy Spirit in my head. (laughs) What is that to you? You follow me, Todd. You follow me. And and by the way, it isn't that John's life would be easier and not involve suffering. That's the whole intention of what's going on here in verse 23. Jesus makes the point here. This is... um, John's writing this, the saying spread, there was a rumor that because Jesus said it the way he said it at the end of verse 22, if it's my will that I leave him until I come, in other words, that John would live this super long life and things would go well for him and then I would come back and he would never have to die. By the way, John, according to tradition, did live the longest of all of the apostles, that he lived almost to the very end of the first century. He's the author of the book of Revelation, the last book, of the new testament he may have been the youngest disciple to start with but the bottom line is as best we understand he died of natural causes unlike all of the other apostles but he did not live until jesus returned and he did not live a life free of suffering sometimes we look at our own hardship and suffering and we think we're the only one And Jesus is just setting up a hypothetical. It's an if statement. It's not something that actually happened. The rumor was a false rumor. And if somehow we got it in our minds that John didn't live a life of suffering, that he too didn't suffer for the name of Jesus, listen, we've missed out on on understanding what all of the apostles went through. And if you're sitting here thinking that someone else isn't suffering, that their life isn't as hard as yours, you have no clue, you have no clue. We all face temptation, we all face trials of various kinds, we all have internal struggles, we all wrestle. If you're looking at my life as your pastor and thinking, man, that guy's got it all together. (laughs) Let's get a microphone for Cheryl. (laughs) We'll get that one locked down. We all have pain. Everybody has pain. We can't measure ours against anyone else's. Until we get this, that comparing ourselves to others is a sure path away from the peace of God, the peace that God wants us to have, Until we get this, we're just going to remain in this place where we're not experiencing everything God has for us. You cannot compare yourself to others and be at peace. So do you understand these three things? And do you want the peace of God in your life? The calm assurance that what God is doing is best. So I thought it would be appropriate for us uh, to respond to this and I want to invite you to get with Jesus. We don't do this very often but I want you to get with Jesus before you leave here today and resolve this. Get resolve in your life and to find the peace that he offers Peter here to reconcile yourself to God. And therefore, to reconcile yourself internally. And so I would ask, what conflict, what conflict needs to be resolved between you and the Lord? What sin needs to be confessed and dealt with? Maybe you need to redirect your life because you've been on your own program and not that of Jesus. You need to declare right now that you're not going to choose your own way anymore, but you're going to choose His way, whatever that would mean. Or maybe you just need to declare your intention to stop comparing. I'm going to lay that down and I'm going to lock in that phrase into my mind. What is that to you? You follow me. Now, what happened in this account is clear. That Peter's correction, this loving, gentle correction that Jesus does with him. That that happened, you'll remember I said, it happened in front of six others. And so we have a great opportunity here today. Again, we don't do a lot of public invitations like this. But to get reconciled with God in this moment. With people right here who love you. Looking on. To let them witness the fact that you're saying, I'm, I'm tired of the striving. And I want the peace of God in my life. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. A couple of different ways. Right now, several of our leaders, small group leaders, coaches, elders, pastors, some of their wives are going to be up here at the front. They're going to come and just stand up on the sides over here. You guys can move right now and be ready. One of the ways that you can respond, maybe it's a very specific thing and maybe what you would really like to do is have someone pray with you. That you'd like to actually confess something and, and get it out there. And I would just invite you as the worship team sings over us in a minute, that you would get up from where you are and you would come to one of these leaders and you would say, this is the thing, would you pray for me? But maybe, maybe you don't need this or you don't want to pray with someone else. You know what the issue is and you want to go straight to God and that's the awesome thing about our God, that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. That we come to the Father straight through. So maybe you just want to pray in your own. And you can come up here to the front. We've left this area wide open. You can just come and kneel down right here and get before the Lord and say, I need this to be reconciled, God. And lay before the Lord right now and pray to him. Pour your heart out to him and find the peace that Paul says, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. So you come right now and seek Him, as the team sings over us. And are you? Hurt? Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.